Get another hour of Flames Talk going. It is Friday, February 9th, and we're underway this hour. It's Steinberg and Aaron Vickers of NHL.com, and welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to CalgaryLockandSafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. Steinberg, Vickers from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Going on, Vix. Happy Friday. It is Friday. I was not aware of that until you just, wow, hey. until you just said that. Lots of times I get that wrong, too. But that this one, it says right on my computer screen that it is a uh, Friday. Let's... um. Let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local, find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. And I almost um, I almost hate to be this guy. Then don't. But the question has to be asked. No, I, I have to. I know, I know, I know. I have to. Is it time to, uh, is it time to sit down, Chris Tanev? Is it time... To sit Chris Tanev out of games until a trade is made. Or I guess, alternatively, is it time to pull the trigger on a trade? But knowing that that is a little bit more difficult to just snap your fingers and do, that's why I asked the question, is it time to sit Chris Tanev for precautionary reasons? Is it time to use the asset management excuse to sit a player out, which we have seen many, many times over the last number of years in the NHL? Because... Chris went down the tunnel not once, but twice in that 5-3 win over New Jersey on Thursday night. It seems like every second night he's going down the tunnel because he's crashed into the boards hard or crashed into the net hard or blocked a shot somewhere that hurts or taken a stick somewhere in the face or whatever goes along with the Chris Tanev experience. We know that this guy puts himself in harm's way more so than most other players do in the National Hockey League. And unless something dramatically has changed over the last 24 or 48 hours, the belief is that Chris Tanev is going to be dealt. And the belief is the Flames are looking for a first-round pick and trying to maximize his value. And this is a this is a dilemma for me. I, I It's... I know what my answer is, but it's not an easy answer for me to uh, to give because I know how a guy like Chris is wired. Can you imagine trying to sit that guy down? No. It, if if he's injured, he doesn't like to play. Uh, doesn't like to miss games. Like if we're talking about him being gravely hurt, and it's difficult for him to do the things that allow you to be an NHLer, he still wants to play and tries everything to get into games. You have that. You have the fact that this team's still still trying to make a playoff spot, uh, still trying to win hockey games, and still trying to ice the very best lineup each and every night. I get it. I get that this is not an easy thing to do. But I think if this is close, and I think if we're in the pocket of something being imminent, if we're knocking on the door to a trade being made... Vix, I, I think you have to sit. I, I think you have to err on the side of pragmatism. I think you have to err on the side of caution. And as difficult as it is for me to say, I think you need to start protecting your asset because that's that was scary on Thursday, especially the first time he went down the tunnel, because that looked like it might have been it could have been something, you know? First of all, tip of the cap for you for coining it the Chris Tanov experience. You saw me light up a little bit over on this side of the table. I really like that. Let's put Chris Tanev into perspective a little bit. Recent history, we'll just go. He's averaging almost 20 minutes a game over the last five. That's fine. That's right in the wheelhouse where you want him to be as a middle-pairing defenseman. In those five games, he's blocked 20 shots. That's 11.01 blocks per 60. The next closest on the Calgary Flames is Rasmus Anderson at eight. Eight total, not per 60. So he's got fewer than half 
of what Chris Tanev currently has. Only two guys league-wide have had more blocks over the same duration as Chris Tanev. Each of them has played six games, so one more game. So you give Chris Tanev an extra bonus game. Chances are he's passing them and taking the lead lead. I think I went from January 28th or some sort of quasi-arbitrary date. But the fact remains is he's not slowing himself down. And perhaps it's time for the Calgary Flames to slow him down. And I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in the conversation between Ryan Huska, Craig Conroy, and Chris Tanev. With the first two going, Chris, we can't roll you out anymore. We need to protect you from an asset management perspective. Because I can't imagine a situation where Chris Tanev is receptive to that conversation. It's not his call at the end of the day. But I can't imagine he's going to be overly receptive to the idea of, hey, I'm healthy. I want to play. But you just have to go look back at the New Jersey Devils on Thursday. You mentioned it. He went down the tunnel two or three times. And each time it was like, ooh, that that can't be good. The the first one was the scariest one. You're like, he he took a stick from Jack Hughes, mm-hmm. then crashed into Markstrom in the net. You're like, oh, no. And I... I get it. Like, I understand. Like, if you're Ryan Huska and you're listening to this right now, or if you're Dan Lambert and you're listening to this right now, you're saying to yourself, shut up. We need (laughs) this guy to win hockey games. This guy makes us better. And that's all that they care about. And then that's what they should care about. As much as Ryan Huska cares about the big picture, right now he's employed to win Saturday against the New York Islanders. And he was employed to win Thursday against the New Jersey Devils. And Ryan Huska and any other coach will tell you that, hey, you know what? You're a better team with Chris Tanev in the lineup as opposed to not in the lineup. But here's another voice. This is uh, Frank Saravalli of uh, Daily Faceoff on the big show Friday morning. Exactly the same way, uh, same thinking we are right now. It's really simple for me. Like Chris Tanev is, for all the reasons you mentioned, a warrior. I'd call him a human missile, which is to his credit. But for me, if I'm Craig Conroy, I'd be saying, we love everything you bring. Everyone knows what that is, but we're not going to be the team that's left holding the bag at the end of this season because you got hurt. And whether it's today or next week or three weeks from now, you know, Chris, we love you, but we're sitting you out and we're going to just wait for a trade because I, I just, I don't think they can afford to get through this process and have him be banged up and it not happen. Whatever happens with the playoff race, and I know they've won a couple games to start this trip, um, that's after trading Lindholm. Like, who's to say they can't trade Tanev and the same thing happens? So, for me, um, it's real clear. Chris Tanev wouldn't be playing another game if I were running the team um, because I just don't think they can afford it. Again, if this thing isn't imminent, if we're not talking about this being a week away couple games away then that's a that's a different conversation you can't you can't do it with the intent of trading him you have to do it with the knowledge that you're close to moving him and there is a there is a difference as as frank said in our hit with us earlier this week on tuesday you can't do what Ottawa did, uh, sorry, uh, Arizona, Arizona did with with Jacob Chikrin before trading him to Ottawa, where they literally sat him down for three weeks. Said, no, nah, we don't want to, we don't want you to get hurt. We know we're trading you. We don't have anything imminent, but we're going to uh, just sit you down. I don't think you can do that. But I also don't think that you, you I, I, I believe that you're starting to play with fire a little bit at this point. And, and Thursday night was worrisome. And, and that was kind of like a, a final straw for me. So with conditions, if it's as close as we're led to believe, as if it's as close as what you're hearing from people we talk to with the Flames or what Elliot Friedman's talking about or Frank Saravalli's talking about or Darren Drager's talking about, like if it's as close as everyone seems to believe it is right now, I think you have to, you've got to make the pragmatic decision here as difficult as that would be for everybody involved. So admittedly, I was on the other side of this conversation a few days ago or a week ago. I don't have my exact timeline as to when I flipped. Because if you can't play him because you're afraid he's going to get hurt, what does that say or signal to the other teams that want to attract him? That he's injury prone? That he won't survive the two or three games between now and when he's actually moved? What does that do for his trade value? How does that affect it if you're so 
worried about protecting him, are you giving off the vibe that he's not durable enough to survive those games until he's traded? But like I said, now I'm on the other side. Seeing him go to the, down the tunnel a couple of times against the Devils quickly changed my mind. And if I'm in that seat, the GM seat for the Calgary Flames, now, again, it has to be imminent. There has to be concrete offers on the table and you're doing your due diligence and circling back and you're closing in on a deal. But now I'm sitting him. And I texted you last night that this could be Tanev's last game with the Flames just by, it might have been a little bit overreactionary, but you see him go down the tunnel once. You see him go down the tunnel twice. And it starts to signal those alarm bells of, hey, maybe we need to put asset management ahead of having Chris Tanev on the ice. And again, if there's something really close, I think it's the right course of action. Yeah, it's just, it's um, it's so difficult to, to, to say when talking about this player particularly because yeah. of how important he is to the team and because of how he's wired and, and how much he would absolutely hate hearing any of this and would absolutely hate it if, he were told this. And and I think, honestly, I think Ryan Huska would, would really hate to be having these conversations. I think that coaching staff would probably be, if they were listening right now, would be telling us to, to F right off. Probably. Of, like, do you realize how, yes, we do realize how important your most is competitive defenseman. He might be their, their most important defenseman. When you think about the way the team looks when he's not in compared to when he's in, the the tone he sets for the way they defend, the way they exit the zone, the way they match up against good players on the other side, you could make a very salient argument that I would not push back on at all of, of him being their most important defenseman. Doesn't play the most minutes because the minutes he plays are, are so hard. They... They exert a little bit more on the human body than, than other minutes do just because of the, the nature of the way he plays. But when he's not in, they're a different-looking hockey team. Even look, at, even look at the second round series with the Oilers and how things change. I know they didn't win, but how much closer were the final two games of that series when Chris returned compared to the first three games of that series, which were just a wide-open free-for-all, and the Flames couldn't keep pucks out of their net. Well, and returned at, what, 50%, 60%? Like, that was not a 100% Chris Tanev coming back into the lineup to play against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, and he still had that dramatic an impact on just the overall flow and shape of those games. And that's at 50, 60. I, I can't imagine he was even close to 70%. But that's why he's so coveted. That's why there's going to be teams in all positions in the standings, whether they're locking up a division, whether they're locking up a conference, or whether they're clinging to a wild card spot. That's what makes this guy so valuable is his battle level, his compete level, his willingness to play through stuff to put the team first. That's why he's a guy that's completely coveted, one of the top defensemen on the trade market, heading into the March 8th trade deadline. But to an extent, that's almost why you have to, I don't want to say protect him from himself, but from an asset management perspective and from my perspective, that's when you maybe go, hey, we if, if again, if we have something close, maybe you're not going to play tonight or tomorrow night just because these trade talks are amplifying. Um, let's dive in on the text line because lots of response on this, as, uh, as I expected uh, at 960, 960, and would love more to come in because I, I, I think it is so fascinating. And even just reading the text line, the differing views, and I'll just read these kind of in order as they've come in so far. Uh, this from Bill in the Northwest who says, uh, he's got to pull it up again. I don't know why now it's not opening for me. Come on. There we go. Uh, remind me again why they can't re-sign Tanev. If he's that important to them, uh, maybe he doesn't want to re-sign here. Well, I think there is I think there is a little bit of um, divide between where the Flames are willing to go and what Tanev is looking for. I, I think Tanev likes it here. I think he would have no problem staying here. But I also think the Flames are looking at things as veteran players 34 years old there's a limit in terms of the length that we're willing to sign these guys for so i think it's similar to the to foley conversation not that tanev's requested a trade but in that to foley's camp was looking for longer and the flames were looking for shorter and i think that's kind of what we're talking about with tanev as well so i don't think it's a the flames don't want to re-sign him or he doesn't want to re-sign here it's more where both parties are going right now there, there maybe isn't an easily, um, an easily detectable middle ground right now. I may eat these words in three to four years, but I feel like 
the next contract Chris Tanev signs might be his last in the NHL, just given that he's 34 now. If he's trying to find a four-year deal, maybe even longer, that takes him to his late 30s. And again, it can be done. We've seen Mark Giordano do it and extend the career into your 40s. But if I'm Chris Tanev and I'm Chris Tanev's camp, I'm looking for as much term as possible on this last deal. And again, if we're playing GM, I might be a little hesitant to give a four-year deal to Chris Tanev. Just again, the age, the way he plays. um, It's a hard, hard game that he plays. And I don't know necessarily what the final years of a contract like that look like, but I could see on one hand it giving some GMs pause. And on the other hand, some GMs going, if this is what it takes, I'm going to do it because I want Chris Tanev in my organization. Uh, This from Jevin in Airdrie, who says, the other side of it is you're sitting one point out of a playoff spot. If you sit Tanev, what kind of effect does that have on the room? What are you telling them? Uh, which is very fair. That's why all these are uh, very, very, you know, these, these are all very valid takes. This from AJ, who says, sorry, guys, Flames have to get used to life without Tanev. Start now. He's one play from a season-ending injury the way he plays one play away. Uh, this reads, doesn't the Flames not sitting Tanev show just how far apart the trade requests prove uh, for the Flames um, getting a first-round pick? I don't know about that. I actually think it's decently realistic that they might be able to get one. Just might take a little bit longer for them to convince a team to go down that road. And it it might take a a little bit longer for each team to bump other teams' prices up at this point. Yeah, again, if you're going to have four or five teams, what was it, Elliot, in his 32 thoughts written column on sportsnet.ca, I think he had seven teams listed Edmonton was not among them, but we've heard that Edmonton could potentially be interested. That's eight teams out of 31 possible trade destinations. There's more than that. That's 25.8%. And the only reason I can spell that off so quickly is because I did the math on a calculator on Thursday, and I still have that number fresh in my mind. You're right. There's, I I can't imagine a team in the league, whether or not they want to pay at the deadline for Chris Tanev or want to put an offer in at uh, unrestricted free agency if and when he gets there. That list should, in my mind, be 32 teams deep. Uh, This from Dave says, there's nothing to stop the Flames from trading Tanev now and re-signing him in free agency. The only thing I would say about that is that I I think it is unlikely um, because I do think that what Tanev is looking for in terms of a longer deal, three or four years, I I do think he'll be able to find that in free agency um, if he wants. Um, This says, uh, you can't find a defenseman like Tanev. Forget trading him. Who cares about a first-rounder? I don't understand giving him up. Go find a guy like that. It's impossible. And this if-he-gets-hurt crap is nonsense. What are you not going to drive your car in case of an accident? Fair enough. I, um, I, I disagree that I think asset management is fairly important, but that that's that's your take. That's fine. If I had some concrete pending offers on somebody wanting to buy my car, I might take the bus or hop an Uber instead, to be perfectly honest. I, I like walking. I do a lot of walking. As do I. That's how I got here today, bud. Uh, this reads, they're close to a wild card spot. Why wouldn't they aim for that? Look what Florida did last year. Um, in fairness, Florida had won the President's Trophy the year before, then had an underachieving regular season, and then went to the Stanley Cup Final. This whole narrative of Florida was a team that was a, a plucky underdog that just got in is... I believe, quite false. They underachieved in a regular season the year after winning the President's Trophy and then went to the Stanley Cup Final. That, that, to me, that's... And, and now look what they're doing this year. They're one of the best teams in the league. So I, I think that is a silly, false narrative. Myself. And I, I guess to that point is, do you believe the Calgary Flames have been underachieving all season or do you think that they've been achieving right at the level you would sort of expect them to? I think they're more of the expected bubble, chasing the wild card down, one point back, two games given up to the St. Louis Blues who currently hold that spot. I don't think the Flames have necessarily underachieved to this point in the season. Uh, This says, uh, in my opinion, don't sit him. Team Strella is still trying to win games, and Tanev helps in that regard. If he was going for a Lindholm-like haul, then yes, but for a second-round pick or an outside chance of a first, Nah. Um, what else we got here at 969.60? This says Tanev, Tanev and Hannafin are too good together. Keep them together. I'm guessing that means uh, this texter saying keep both of them. Look, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I really don't. Um, the Eric Francis hour, which is coming up after this hour of Flames Talk, we'll dive a lot into the Hannafin thing. We'll even talk a little about Noah a little bit later on this hour. But 
I, I think it's pretty unlikely, Vix, they're keeping both guys at this point. Maybe, maybe keeping one of them, but it, it seems inevitable at this point that, that Chris Tanev is going to be dealt. And I think at this point, Chris is just waiting for the resolution as well. This, this is a guy that despises being in the spotlight. Correct. And he just wants to go out there and block shots and do other things that help hockey teams win. He is far more than just a shot. Correct. Player. But he just wants to go out there and play and compete for a Stanley Cup and win hockey games. You know, I even go back to his after-hours um, appearance with with Francis and Scott Oak a few weeks ago where he was talking about how he went to a Stanley Cup final when he was in his first year in Vancouver and has been, like, all he cares about is getting back there. I This is a show called Flames Talk. I think this team's playing some really good hockey right now. Does anyone believe the Flames are going to the Stanley Cup final this year? And do we believe that they are knocking on the door to be that in the next two or three years? Tanev's 34 years old and a pending unrestricted free agent, and this guy wants to win it all. Win it all? Like, should we also not be just based on his service here in Calgary? Shouldn't there be a little bit of, let's see if he can go win a Stanley Cup somewhere. As as much as people want to keep him, he's got a better chance in my eyes to win a cup elsewhere in the next couple of years here. I think that's a fair assessment. I think anybody that's suggesting the Calgary Flames, whether it be next year or the year after, are due for a Stanley Cup Finals appearance again. I think they're being a little disingenuous, to be honest. Uh, what else we got? A few more texts, 960, 960. Um, this says, Flames need to get this done ASAP and avoid the issue altogether. Take a second rounder and move on. Uh, even Frank says it's unlikely, given past comparables, to get a first-round pick. Um, this says, I don't put my car in front of other cars to block accidents. <laughs> That's a fair point. It is. I think you have less chance of getting hurt in a car than playing hockey the way Tanev does. That is a fair rebuttal to Grumpy Text earlier. And if you wanted to make it three days in a row of having a superhero movie reference, The Dark Knight for you, bud. That's also... I keep saying bud today. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, bud. Uh, this oh, says losing sure. Tanev would suck, but let's be honest, where this team is, a, where this team is, it's all about the big picture. He isn't going to turn them from pretender to contender. Hannafin and his outcome will have a way bigger impact long-term. That comes from the Beave. This from Jeff. Trade Tanev and Hannafin. If they lose, they lose. If they squeak in, that's awesome. Love them both. Time to move on. Uh, this says Florida has the best two-way center in the league, the best power forward in the league, several legit snipers, two elite defensemen, and an elite goalie. Horrible example. Talking about the Panthers. Um, this says regardless of who they trade Hannafin and or Tanevin to, Tanev too, you can't allow the team to be content with losing. A losing culture is really hard to break. I don't think anybody has suggested them being okay with losing, nor have we suggested that you sit Chris Tanev out for multiple, multiple weeks. If it's close, I think you have to start thinking about doing it. And if it's as close as we believe it to be, then I think it needs to be a legit conversation for Saturday's game against the Islanders. I'll say this much. The last two games... I've been waiting for a tweet, not waiting for, but I've been waiting to see if there would be a tweet from the Flames right before warm-up saying Chris Tanev's not going to play. And I've been watching on my monitor as the players come out for warm-up whether or not I see the, the slicked back long hair of number eight. And, and so far the first two games, we've seen it, and he's been pretty good and pretty helpful in winning a couple of games. Again, he's just going about his business the way he knows how, and that's to make an impact with his defensive play with getting in front of shots. Again, 20 in the past five games, and each one I can imagine Craig Conroy wincing just a little bit every time he sees it. But again, as you mentioned, he's more than just the shot blocks. He's the puck retrievals. He's the facilitating the breakout. He's the penalty kill. There's so many facets that he touches, which is why he's such an important defenseman to the Calgary Flames. And again, if it sounds repetitive, I apologize, but that's why he's going to be so coveted on that trade market. Uh, a few more texts, 960, 960. Uh, it says, I say let's trade number eight right away, right away or sit him down. If July 1 comes around and he wants to sign here and the Flames want him back, that's always an option. Send him to a contender, get the most you can, and go from there. Uh, this says, what price do you put on having someone on the team to show the young players what it takes to play the game properly? Again, it's, that's a different debate, but I do think he's getting traded. I'll be stunned at this point if he's not. Um, Mike, the tow truck, tow truck driver, this is a long-time throwback. I'm coming for your car again. Where'd you park the Civic? I haven't driven a Civic in ages, Mike. You're not getting my car this time. Um, I'll tell you that story a little bit later on. Um, and this says from Pete in Montreal, as much as we love Tanev, 
you got to sell high. There you go. Great stuff on the text line. Uh, that's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in-store today. A few other things to touch on briefly. How about the uh, Friday goaltending hysteria? Um, one tweet from JM, Julian in New York, about an e-bug. And you've got people, well, Markstrom's gone. Nope, nope, just Dan Vladar injured himself, hurt himself in warm-up on Thursday. So, nope, Jacob Markstrom is not being traded. Um, they've recalled Dustin Wolf because Dan Vladar is on IR. You can't tweet anything right now without mass hysteria. Everybody's on high alert, and I understand why, especially with you know what? the rumors I mean, that have been bouncing around. Even Megan Mickelson was guilty of it on Ooh. Thursday. One of the times that Tanev went down the tunnel, she goes, maybe he's getting traded. Was, oh, no. Mick, no! <laughs> The old Mike Camilleri treatment, the pull him off mid-game? Yeah. I actually, it was quite funny. I was like, no! It was quite funny. <laughs> the Michael Scott gif right there, or what? Not quite. Okay. It wasn't quite that. Didn't I didn't hate it. My, Michael Scott hated Toby. Um, honestly, I don't, I, I, I really don't think they're going to trade Markstrom between now and the trade deadline. And the way number 25 is playing, for all those people talking about go for a wild card, stay competitive. And I'm not even saying they shouldn't. I still think they should make the pragmatic trades, but I don't think that you wave the white flag. And that is one thing I will give this team oodles of credit for since coming out of the, uh, the trade deadline. I'm uh, sorry, out of the all-star break. They trade one of their most important players in Elias Lindholm. And they bring back Kuzmenko, who's been a lot of fun, plus four other assets. But, you know, Elias Lindholm is one of the most important players or was one of the most important players on the team. They traded him and didn't re-sign him, and it was a very future-oriented deal. But that, there, there was, and I didn't expect this, but no white flag-waving. In fact, it looks like a team that has maybe got a bit of a weight lifted off its shoulders and playing even a little bit looser, and they've been shot out of cannons and have played two really strong games in a row. And if they trade Tanev and Hannafin and maybe somebody else, I still think that they should be playing and 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 going about their business the same way. And maybe they don't win. Maybe they do win. Maybe they lose more than they win because you've just taken away too many important players. I don't know. But I keep going back to that example of Nashville last year and with the way that these young players have infused a ton of energy into the group and with the way that even Kuzmenko and Pelche have jumped into Rooney and, and Pahal have jumped in and given them just a fresh feel. I think this is and a group that I think is trying to prove some people wrong. I don't think it's out of the question that the way Jacob Markstrom is playing, he's one of the best goaltenders in the league over the last three or four months. And all the other things I just mentioned, I still think this group's going to stay competitive until the very end. I really do. I don't expect them to fall back into lottery contention and, and, be in a situation where we're talking about are they going to get number four or number five overall? A, there's not enough time left. And B, I think with the goalie they've got and with the team that they've got, even if they make some moves here, I still think they're going to remain pretty competitive. I know the sample size is small. We're only talking about two games, but this team is giving me a little bit of defiant vibes where it's go ahead and trade everybody and we're still going to win. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to make the playoffs. In fact, I still think that they'll end up on the outside looking in. And that'll just upset the chip in a chair crowd because they won't get in. And that'll just disrupt team tank because they'll be disappointed that it's not a higher draft pick, but the guys in the room and we're not around them. They're on the road. We're here in Calgary, but it just, the way they're playing and the way they're sort of smiling and loose and, and, and just having a time right now, they strike me as a team. that's like, all right, you've traded Lindholm. We're still going to go about our business and try and win and we'll win. And if you happen to make more moves down the line, we're not changing our attitude. Yep. It's the old, it's the Nazem Kadri. Pack of hyenas can take down a line. I think that's something that's going to stick yep. with this group, the balance of the season. Uh, he's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're underway this hour on Flames Talk, and we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement-y. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for a Friday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. 
Mercedes-Benz Country Hills is open on Family Day. Do something with the family and something you want to do and find exceptional savings just minutes. From the Calgary Airport at Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. And, gents, uh, another couple points on Thursday night for Noah Hannafin as part of a 5-3 win in New Jersey. And, look, we, we know Noah Hannafin's future is uncertain in Calgary. We know that there is a decent chance he may not be a member of the Flames beyond the March 8th trade deadline. We know all that. We know the uncertainty exists. But we also know, as of right now, February 9th, he's a member of the Flames. We also know he's 27 years old and playing some really good hockey right now and and the best hockey that he's ever played in his career, which has kind of been the case for Noah throughout his career. He just tends to get better year over year, and that's happening again this year, another step taken. So that's why I ask this question, whether he's a Flame, whether he's elsewhere, regardless. Guys, what do we think the ceiling is for Noah Hannafin? I think it's safe to say that uh, if he's not already a uh, first-bearing defenseman for almost any team in the NHL. I mean, I just look at what he did in Thursday night's game against the Devils, playing uh, a season high for time on ice, uh, just under 28 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, had a couple of assists and basically a perfect stat line. Four shots, six attempts, uh, some takeaways, but no giveaways. Uh, he just was brilliant. Uh, in that 5-3 to three victory. And he's a guy who at 27 has a tremendous amount of experience in the league, but is still a young player who I think is still ascending. And we, we've seen that even more so recently than I would say uh, earlier this season. Uh, he is quickly catching up to Rasmus Anderson for the team's uh, average time on ice leader uh, as his role just continues to expand. He's been the quarterback of the first power play. Obviously, he's uh, lifting a lot of weight uh, at five-on-five as well. And with the way the game is trending, it gets faster and faster every year. And with the way he skates, I just think that Noah Hannafin is going to continue to be uh, an even more impactful player moving forward. And I know he's got a lot of games in this league under his belt, but uh, I still think that uh, with the way he moves his feet, uh, with the fact that he's been really healthy throughout his career – and, uh, again, with the way the game is being played uh, these days and will probably continue to get faster and faster moving forward here, is that he is a player who can age really well as well. So, you know, we talked a lot about Chris Tanev. He's 34, plays a different style of hockey, one that uh, will probably make him more injury-prone than a guy like Noah Hannafin who doesn't throw himself with reckless abandon in front of uh, shots uh, on a nightly basis but you know, still finds a way to, to be an effective uh, defender as well, but I, I think that he can be uh, a top pairing defenseman or a, a, certainly a top four defenseman in this league well into his 30s. Uh, can he ever be the elite number one guy that a handful of teams in this league have? Maybe, maybe not, but uh, safe to say top pairing guy in most teams, uh, and uh, certainly he, he's been that for the Flames this season. Yeah, in the past for me, he's been kind of a a quasi number three top pairing guy if you need him. But over the course of the last year and a half or so, I think he's really taken his game to a new level. Since the start of the 2022-23 season, so again, just over a season and a half, that logs 132 games for Noah Hannafin. He's 32nd in the NHL in ice time per game at 23.01. He's 11th overall in total ice time at over 3,000 minutes, 27th in goals at 16, 32nd in points at 66, 54th in Corsi 4 percentage at 51.8. Now, these aren't all the end-all, be-all stats as it pertains to defensemen, but I think perhaps personally I was underestimating Noah Hannafin a bit. And again, there are other stats you can look at and point to that aren't quite as flowery as necessarily as these ones. But over the course of the last season and a half, I think Noah Hannafin has really started to emerge as a top-pairing defenseman. And all the stats that I just listed scream as a guy that can be playing a top-pairing. Keep in mind, technically speaking, there's 32 teams, so 64 top-pairing defensemen. In the strong majority of these categories, he's 32 or better, and certainly 64 or better in a significant chunk of any metric you want to toss. Um. Guys, I, I, first of all, I think that um, when I when I talk about Hannafin, um, I, I think I have maybe put an unfair cap on him too, um, because I I never really saw offense the way that we've seen from him 
this year. I mean, some of the things he's doing offensively, we've seen him add a, a new element to his game. The way he's jumping up into plays, the way he's activating, the way that it feels like he's found some confidence in being able to be dangerous down low. How many times have we seen him do that move to the right side of the ice and then cut to the net and either get a shot or against Boston, he scored a goal. Like he's doing that on a regularish basis now. And how many times are we seeing him activate off the left side and and whether he gets a shot from the circle or he finds somebody cross ice through a seam? Like we're we're seeing Noah Hannafin more engaged than we've ever seen him offensively. And and that's why when I talk about his ceiling, I thought, you know, kind of a 2-3 tweener was his ceiling up until this season. And, and now I think that ceiling, because I think you, to be a bonafide, no questions asked, top pair guy for talking about that, that 1-2 range in the league, I think you also have to have a, a decent high-end offense. And I think we're starting to see that from him. And... That's uh, that's really that's really encouraging to see, and we know how well he skates, and we know how he can log minutes. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that's a fair pair. That's a, that's a fair ceiling, guys. I think a bona fide top pair guy is is probably where this thing is trending. And I don't know Willsey when it levels out and when he stops taking steps year over year, but. I don't know, there's maybe been one year in his entire career where he hasn't taken a decent step from one season to the next. So I don't know when that stops, but it definitely hasn't stopped this year, and I give him a lot of credit for it. And Look, I think that he is better when playing with Chris Tanev. I think we see more of these things when he's got Tanev on his right side, but that doesn't change the fact that we're seeing things from him this year that we have not seen from him in the past. Yeah, do you guys think that he's playing the best hockey of his life right now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. There's no question about it. Like he, he, every year he's gotten better, and and this is this is a, a big step where not only has he gotten better, but I think he's added something that he didn't really have before. Yeah, I would agree, and he just looks a lot more confident offensively to me, and, and I think what kind of had me in the same boat as as Aaron in previous seasons was that I saw the skill, uh, the skating, and he would flash offensively once in a while, but kind of left me wanting more in that regard. But this season, he just he looks a lot more confident with the puck, and uh, I think part of that probably is uh, who he's been paired with for a good chunk of the year and Chris Tanev, and uh, let's be honest, Noah Hannafin isn't the first defenseman and probably won't be the last defenseman who looks better playing with Chris Tanev on his right. Uh, Quinn Hughes uh, looked really good playing with Chris Tanev on a pairing, and everybody who's been paired with uh, Tanev over the years uh, tends to to take a, a Tanev step forward with uh, just having that reliable defensive defenseman uh, who uh, takes pretty good care of his partner. And you know, if Hannafin wants to jump up into the rush, uh, he knows Tanev's going to have his back and and stay back. So uh, I just think that he's taken another step forward this year, and. You know, Chris Tanev at 34 is obviously in the back nine of his career. I'm not sure the same can be said about Noah Hannafin at 27. And again, with the way he skates, and if he can continue to stay healthy, which he's done throughout his career, I don't see any reason why this guy can't continue to progress and be the same player at 33, 34, 35, maybe even a better player at that age as he is right now. So... That's why I'm adamant that if uh, the Flames can get him signed to a long-term deal, that it would be a really good investment for the team. He's a guy who makes you better now. He's a guy who I think is going to make you better for the next seven or eight years, which would be the length of of a contract extension if he signed it. And if you just do the math, think about Chris Tanev. Even with the style that he plays, and he's a really strong skater as well, and I'm not sure he gets enough credit uh, for how he skates the puck and makes – terrific first passes and and helps the flames get out of the defensive zone because that's been a strength of his game for a long long time too but Noah Hannafin if he signs an eight-year extension at the end of that extension is going to be an early 35 year old he just turned 27 so if Chris Tanev is still playing at a really high level at the age of 34 with his style of play why can't Noah Hannafin still be playing at a high level at the age of 34 or 35 with the way he plays the game. So 
It's been uh, fun to watch him grow uh, during his time with the Flames. I think he's playing the best hockey of his life right now. Uh, the Flames have been looking for someone to quarterback that first power play. I think he's done a good job in that spot. He doesn't have a bomb from the blue line, but then again, neither does Mackenzie Weger. And he's second in the NHL in goals by defensemen. So sometimes it's not about how hard you shoot the puck. It's about being able to pick lanes, get the puck through the net, and uh, sometimes it'll go in. And even if it doesn't go in, hey, you're going to create the second and third scoring opportunities for your teammates as well. But Hannafin's been a ton of fun to watch. Uh, I know the Flames have a good offer on the table for him. I'm hoping he signs it. If he doesn't, uh, well, I think there are 31 other NHL teams that would love to have him playing on their top pairing or in their top four. So uh, we'll have to wait and see where this thing goes. Yeah, I agree with you, Wilsey. I'll just move quickly here, Pat. But I don't think that the back half of an eight-year deal for Chris Tanev ages poorly. I think my bias against... You mean Moore, Hannafin. Or Hannafin, sorry, pardon me. Thank you eight-year very much. Eight-year deal for Tanev. I think he did yeah, that all Absolutely. That much. <laughs> I think my bias against Hannafin previously goes back to earlier in his career with the Flames, with the Carolina Hurricanes, and even back with the National Team Development Program, is he's not dynamic he's not a Makar he's not a Fox he's not a Hughes he's not flashy but he doesn't need to be he's simpler safer but still really effective in what he's able to do with the tools that he has whether it's his skating or you know some of the offensive instincts he does have and as a result he's incredibly in fact effective pardon me and I think that that is something that is just going to it's not going to fall off a cliff it's not going to magically forget how to be a defenseman at the level that he's currently at so that bodes well both for uh, maintaining his plateau and extending that window again of how effective he can be over the course of an eight-year deal or a seven-year deal. We are smack dab in the middle of our Daily Flames roundtable on this Friday. It is Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, and Pat Steinberg along with you. Uh, gents, Kevin Rooney scored his first goal of the season on Thursday. In fact, he scored his uh, first goal as a member of the Flames on Thursday in the win over the New Jersey Devils. He didn't play a ton with the Flames last year, but did not score in uh, his, I don't know, quarter of a season, 17 games when it was all said and done. Gets back in in his second game this year, scores a goal. Was his first goal dating back to December of 2021 when he was still a member of the New York Rangers. Um. Gents, it's early. It's only been two games for Rooney, but he's looked good. Head coach Ryan Huska has been full of praise. Have they potentially finally solidified that number four center spot, which has been such an elusive thing for the team this year? Yeah, I think there's a good chance they have. And before the season started, I had Kevin Rooney penciled in as the team's fourth-line centerman. So it, it really was unfortunate that he got – hurt in the preseason that shoulder injury that uh, forced him to miss the first 49 nhl games of the season because i do think that uh, he was positioning himself to to have a bounce back season and i don't know what the deal was with him and daryl sutter uh, he wound up in sutter's doghouse pretty quickly and i'm not saying that's on the coach i'm not saying that's on the player maybe a little bit of both but you know, he played 17 games for the flames last season after the team gave him a two-year contract uh, get put on waivers, sent down to the Wranglers, and we never saw him again until training camp this year. And he, I'm told, was a, a really good veteran presence inside that Wranglers dressing room last season and I think handled it like a true professional because it, it couldn't have been easy going back to the AHL for a guy who I thought had established himself at the NHL level. But, you know, he, he took it on the chin, uh, put in the work, and then tried to put himself in a position where he could prove that he belonged back in this league this season, and then the injury. So uh, it had to be hard for him and Jacob Pelche because they suffered basically the same injury at the same time and both missed the first 49 games of the season to, to be working off the ice when the place they wanted to be was on the ice, helping the Flames win hockey games. But you know, both guys come back at the same time. Uh, both guys uh, have given the Flames something on the fourth line that they haven't had enough of this season. Pelche and Rooney are obviously very different players, but you know Pelche's energy has been very noticeable. And with Rooney, I think it's just his steadiness. And something that Ryan Huska has talked a lot about is that he needs a fourth line that has an identity, that plays consistently to that identity, and that doesn't put the Flames in a bad spot. And he talked a lot about uh, making the right decisions with the puck, not turning it over, not spending a lot of time in the defensive zone, and setting the table 
for the other lines. And I think that's exactly what the new look fourth line with Kevin Rooney, Jacob Peltier, and even Walker Dewar, who looked lost for most of the season. He's looked like a more impactful player in the last couple of games playing with those two guys. And that line has spent a lot of time in the offensive zone. Uh, They did some damage on Thursday night, which was great to see. Not only was it Kevin Rooney's first goal and point of the season, it was his first NHL goal dating back to 2021 and his first point in the league dating back to 2022. So it had to feel great for him to get that monkey off his back and to get rewarded for all of the hard work that he put in off the ice just to get back on the ice. But that line is one that Ryan Huska has been able to give a pretty regular shift to over the last couple of games. And that's not something we were able to say about the Flames' fourth line for the vast majority of the season. It was a line that on a lot of nights, the coaches felt like they couldn't play. You know, they were getting four or five, six minutes of ice time, which put uh, a lot more pressure on the Flames' top nine at forward. So the fact that those guys have been getting a regular shift and they've deserved a regular shift in the first couple of games coming out of the break, it's been big for them, but I think it's been big for the team as well. And the fact that Kevin Rooney, as a fourth-line player, has been able to not just chip in a little bit, but chip in a lot on the penalty kill – I just think it it frees up some of your top players. If you don't have to use them and burn them out on the PK because those are the toughest minutes that you play and you can save them for the PP or for five-on-five play, I think that's a huge win as well. So, so good to see Kevin Rooney back on the ice contributing. It was great to see him get rewarded with a goal in that game against uh, uh, on, on Thursday night against the Devils. And uh, again, small sample size. It's been a couple of games, but I've liked everything that I've seen from him and from that fourth line. And if the Flames can continue to lean on those three guys the way they have in the last couple of games, I just think it makes them a much more dangerous team because as we've talked about almost at nauseum, fellas, this is a team that is built to win by rolling four lines and three pairings. And for a good chunk of the season, they couldn't do that. They would go down to three lines and two pairings or five defensemen, but I think one of the reasons why they've come out of the break with two straight wins on the road against two pretty good teams, one really good team in the Bruins and one pretty good team in the Devils, is that they've been just that. They've been a team that's been able to use their depth to their advantage and and win a couple of hockey games. To me, I'm sort of the same way. It's too early to call Rooney solidifying that role, but I'm not sure outside of Sharon Govich's stint on the fourth line, we've had back-to-back strong games from a player centering that fourth line this season the way that Rooney has. And you mentioned he's getting some chances offensively, first over the boards on the PK, kind of filling in that Elias Lindholm role. But you look at some of the things that that line has been able to do with zero offensive zone starts. They're getting absolutely buried. They're making sure that the puck gets out of the zone. It's going, they're driving it, 200 feet the opposite way, setting the table for the other lines. Everything that we've seen so far over the course of the 12 minutes-ish per game sample size from Kevin Rooney has been positive for a Calgary Flames team that's been looking for a solution on that fourth line all season. Yeah, I, I think we're talking about a guy that even though even though he didn't play in a regular season game until after the All-Star break, we're talking about a guy who... I think is looking at this as a fresh start because he was. I don't think Dar- I don't think Daryl Sutter liked his faceoffs. Uh, I think Daryl Sutter thought that you know he wasn't a hard enough player for the way he wants his team to play. So it was tough for Rooney to stay in the lineup. Didn't didn't fit Daryl's version of what a fourth line guy should be like, and that that's that's what it is. Coaches have different um, different preferences and different opinions. That's what makes them coaches. So it's not a criticism on Daryl. It just Kevin Rooney was not a guy that um, was in line with the way Daryl wanted to roll out his his lines. So and and I think Kevin knew that as well. That's why he was sent to the American League. So he comes in this year, and I remember talking to him on two or three different occasions during training camp, and him just talking about how fired up he was for a fresh start and an opportunity to start anew. And I think that that's exactly what we're talking about here. And. The, the, the thing that I think is really important that also adds to the conversation about how he's going to solidify his spot, guys, not only is he playing in a penalty-killing role, he's taken Elias Lindholm's penalty-killing role yeah. to start his season. It's not like they're easing him in. From night one, he was first over the boards with Michael Backlund as their first forward penalty-killing pair. Like, that, that's a huge well, – that, that's a big show of faith, A. And B, that's a way that if he continues to – play well on the PK, 
then he is going to solidify himself as that number four center. So, yeah, I think he's already well on his way, and I know it's only two games, but I think with a fresh start, with what he brings to the table, with what they signed him to be, and with what we've seen so far, I think he's well on his way. Yeah, and as coaches have said, uh, they weren't going to replace Elias Lindholm with one player. It was going to be something the team would have to do by committee. And we've seen Yegor Sharangovich slide from right wing to center on the first line. So he's replacing Lindholm and the five-on-five minutes he played. And to your point, Pat, Kevin Rooney is replacing the penalty kill minutes that he played. And, and those PK minutes are tough minutes. So if that allows Sharangovich uh, to be better at five-on-five and on the power play, then that's a win for the Flames as well. But, you know, Kevin Rooney, for me, with what the Flames want and need from their fourth line – He's the right type of player. And they weren't getting those minutes from Adam Ruzicka or from Dylan Dubé. And let's be honest, the Flames didn't want Yegor Sharangovich spending much time on their fourth line. That's not why they traded Tyler Toffoli to get him in a third-round pick. He is a top-nine player and right now playing like a first-line player for this team. So uh, if Kevin Rooney can continue to play in the remaining games like he's played in his first two games, then I think that's going to be huge for the Flames because with all of the responsibilities that centermen have on this team with the way the Flames play, if you're not getting good minutes from the man up the middle, chances are his wingers aren't going to be as effective. And with all due respect to Jacob Pelche and Walker Dewar, who have done their jobs on that fourth line, I'm not sure they would be uh, as effective as they were in the first couple of games they played uh, together as a unit, if not for the uh, good work for Kevin Rooney. So it's, it's been fun to watch. Small sample size coming out of the break, but it's all we have to work with at this point in time. And, and so far, so good for Rooney in that fourth line. Thank you, Wilsey. Have a wonderful rest of your Friday. All right, guys. Have a good weekend. He is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills is open on family day. Do something with the family and something you want to do and find exceptional savings just minutes from the Calgary airport. As we start to wrap things up this hour, uh, Aaron Vickers, of course, is on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. Thanks to Shan Vergie, our producer, this hour. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.